What's up, everyone? I am Adam from Injury Armor, and you are listening to My Armor, a podcast that aims to tell the stories of people who have had to contend with injuries that have disrupted, stalled, or unfortunately ended their pursuits of success. I aim to tell these stories whilst honing in on factors such as motivation, self-doubt, fear of failure, and ultimately how to maintain resilience and grit in the face of adversity. The guest we have on today epitomizes all of the above statements. Paul Davis was a professional rugby player for Exeter Chiefs and is a fierce competitor and absolute warrior on the rugby pitch. Paul's story charts his rise through the levels of rugby right up to 2019, where he was playing his best rugby to date after coming back from a potentially career-ending neck surgery. However, Paul's career in professional rugby was cut short when he suffered a cardiac arrest whilst training at Sandy Park with the Chiefs. Paul's unbelievably sad story comments on success, failure, loss of identity and mental health struggles. But it's Paul's resilience in the face of this horrific event that I believe will put him in a great position to inspire future generations as he will soon start his journey as a primary school teacher. Let's get stuck in and find out what Paul had to say. I was actually, it sounds as as weird as it is, I was scared to sleep. Um, Wow. Do you remember why? I was scared of dying. Wow. Um, as, 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 as bluntly as it is, I was I was worried that if I if I fell asleep, I wouldn't wake back up again. So, Paul Davis, welcome to my armor. Welcome to the podcast, mate. How you doing, bud? Yeah, not too bad. Thank you, mate. Thank you for having me. No problem, mate. You've, to be honest, mate, you've been one of the first people, if not the first person, that I've wanted to get onto this because. I think the story that you've got to tell, albeit pretty tough story to tell, I'm sure, um, I think it's remarkable. And I think there's definitely definitely a lot of positives to come from it. Oh, thank you, mate. But let's start where we are right now, mate. How are you finding lockdown 3.0? 3.0. Wow, it's been a couple, isn't there? Not, <laughs> not too bad, if I'm honest. It's a, it's a bit of a strange one. So I left my job at the first lockdown. Okay. And decided to go back to university and study to be a teacher. So, is that was that on the was that on the cards before? Was that something that you were always interested in teaching? Uh, I, I think so. Yeah, it's been something that I've always thought about doing, but I wanted to try and explore other avenues to begin with. Okay. Uh, and then I just thought, sod it, why not? Um, not much is going on in in terms of like other things, so I just thought might as well just do it now, bite the bullet, and just get back to uni and. And, and study to be a teacher, yeah. Nice work, man. And this isn't your first degree, is it? No, this is my second degree. So I studied at Exeter about five years ago now. What was your degree in then? So I studied in sports science, which is, uh, is it was good fun. So I'm presuming that your teaching degree right now, is that going to be for you to teach sport, exercise, PE? No, so I'm actually going to be a primary school teacher. So something a bit different, a bit out of my comfort zone, but it's something that I feel you can have uh, really big impact to some of the younger children mate that's incredible i've got to be honest that that surprises me a little bit does it no it's uh, yes it's cool i'm excited for it i i think that's incredible and like you said it's i'm sure it's a very moldable age group that you can probably have a lot of impact on uh yeah they're they're definitely i've I've been in school a couple of times now and they're they're great characters and they they always seem to look up to a to like a male figure within a primary school anyway so you instantly get awesome. those relationships, which is quite, it's really cool. 
Awesome. So, mate, that is where you are now. But obviously, you are on this podcast right now to talk a little bit about your your career, your history, um, uh, along a kind of a chronological path, really. So let's go right back to the beginning. Talk to me about what Paul Davis was like as a youngster um, and kind of your introduction to rugby, please, if that's okay, mate. Crikey, what was I like as a youngster? <laughs> well, it's probably one of those she's asked my mum. <laughs> um, what would your mum say? Oh, God. I think I was, I was quite a, I was, when I was younger, I was a bit of an, an angry child. Okay. In, um, it was just me and my mum like, the whole time, which was, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, it was, I'd say I was quite an angry child. She uh, took me down to the local rugby club and, and let me get some of that anger out and never looked back when I was about. 12 years old yeah never looked back after that a little bit of therapy a little bit of therapy yeah she's like you need to sort something out and just took me down there probably by by my ear pulling me down there and, and set me off and then and that was me for, for the next 15 years mate for anyone listening who's got a child that potentially has a similar kind of um I don't want to say anger as such, but potentially, potentially a lot of energy to spell how did you find how did you find rugby in terms of tapping that Oh, I, I loved it. I thought, I, thought it. I thought it was great. As soon as I, I found like a bit of a purpose and a bit of a, a belonging in the, in like the rugby like community, even when I was that young is um, like you, you play with people from school and you just build these quite good relationships with these, with these other people from school. And it's, yeah, it was, it was great. It's literally, it's, I, I think something when, when I have kids, it'll be something that I'll see if they'll be interested in. Obviously they can choose what they want to do, but it'd be something that I'd really like them to give a go. Yeah, definitely. For sure. And you mentioned that you're quite an, an angry child and kind of you put that into your rugby. I think it's fair to say that your your style of rugby, um, you're definitely or definitely an abrasive player, definitely like the contact. Is that fair to say? Uh, there's nothing better than tucking the ball up your shirt and just running straight at someone and just seeing what happens. <laughs> definitely. So do you think that's where, it, that's where it comes from? You kind of just, just reveling in that chaos? Oh, it's, it's, it's a strange one. It's the, the, you get a buzz and it's... Uh, it's, it's quite a weird buzz that you know, I, I can't really explain what it is, but it's just like, it's just you and this, this other person and you just see who comes better off really. Nice, mate. So you found your, your love for rugby from a place of, of, of needing to, by the sounds of it, your mum wanting to kind of get some energy out of you. So at what point did you kind of, or what's the first time that you remember kind of really wanting to, to push your rugby or really thinking this is something that I think I could be pretty, pretty handy at? I don't know. I've, I've always tried to keep like my, my feet on the ground, really, like with being go, going to college, going to, to university to try and make sure there's always something there if, if it didn't work out. Um, probably a time when I realised I do want to chase this was probably going to college. And I had okay. the likes of uh, like Chris Brown as, as my rugby coach. And uh, like we, we all know what that guy can talk about. And he's a <laughs> passionate bloke about rugby. Yeah. Probably came from him being passionate towards towards like the rugby guys there as well to try and push them as hard as they could go amazing and just for a reference point what college was this mate oh uh, sorry this was exeter college exeter college cool so so chris brown or brownie kind of helped to kick that on a little bit now i mean I, it's a difficult thing to remember but do you remember at that stage having any goals for your rugby you the kind of person that kind of set yourself targets or set yourself goals um i think the, the goal aspect came later in in life in my career when it started going down but at that time it was more I just wanted to to prove people people wrong as well okay who were you proving wrong uh there was there was a a coach once for um I think it was Devon under 16s 
told me that I didn't have a chance of uh, of making it. And uh, okay. yeah, I just kind of wanted to prove him wrong and prove everyone else wrong and and just try and see how far it could go. Yeah, definitely. Amazing, mate. Do you remember what his what his reasoning was at that time? I think he said there was better players around than myself, which it probably was right at the time. Yeah, I think that there's some good, there's some great players to come out of Devon, and yeah, it's, it's schoolboy schoolboy rugby at the time, isn't it? But crucially, it was it was that that kicked you on and kept you motivated at the time. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I've I've always wanted to try and prove people wrong for sure. Definitely. Mate, t- amazing, mate. Talk to me a little bit about then. You kind of you've you've brought us up to college level. Um, around that time, kind of what was the transition like, or how was that transition from? from college level rugby into kind of uh, age grade men's get men's rugby, essentially. Um, how did that work for you? How did it work for me? It was, it was quite, a, it was an interesting one. Um, obviously I was at the local club I was at the time was Brixham. Um, but I was actually living in Exeter at the time. So it was a bit of a, a travel to go down to Brixham. Okay. Um, and then I think it, it was when Taunton first turned into to the Titans. Okay. And it was Keith Brooking and Tony Yap that took over. And they were trying to bring in some players, and obviously uh, Chris Brown again pushed me, pushed me towards Taunton, and and from there I didn't really look look back at the time, and it was yeah, it was I had a great time at Taunton, like a lot of Am- great memories and some great friends there. Amazing, man. and again as a reference point, what position were you playing at this point? Oh, so at college I was uh, at prop, and actually went in one day and said I didn't want to play prop anymore, I want to play in the back row, uh, and Brownie was like, okay, we'll see what goes on. Uh, and then literally straightforward, went up to Taunton. They were lacking second rows. So I don't know where uh, me going in the second row actually fitted, but they were chucking me up in the lineouts, and I was uh, loving life. I was flying like a salmon. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it was, and then literally just lingered in the back row in the front row there for, for the foreseeable after that. Amazing. When did your relationship start with um, with Exeter Chiefs? Um, it started... Um, Probably at college, as, as me and a, a friend of mine, Will Norton, um, we kind of got picked out of college and started training there in, in the morning. So I think we we're getting in at like 6.30 before college, doing like all the, the workouts and, and fitness at the club, uh, joining like the odd training session on a, on a Friday where the non-23 chuck the ball around and play some, well, it's not touches, anaerobic games, which yeah. really hard. Um, but that, yeah, that's, that's where it's, it started uh, with Chiefs and... It kind of died out before I went into uni. Okay. And then I joined in like an outreach thing. And just each year, they always just say I was too fat, which they're probably quite right. Uh, and they used to just slog me to try and lose some weight. Um, <laughs> and then luckily, I got a bit of a break and, and started training with the first team. Amazing. What was that transition like? Oh, that, that, that was amazing. Yeah, it's, I guess most people that come into the environment at a young age, you're, you're kind of in an area with all these internationals, all these great, like great guys. And yeah, it's, it's really, it's really surreal. I had to pinch myself a couple of times. Definitely. Did you remember that guy saying that at that time you wouldn't make it? Do I remember the guy's name? No, no, no. Oh. At that time when you were kind of mixing it up with the team in the, in the first team environment, was that still your motivator? Remembering that guy saying that, oh, this guy, you haven't got the talent to make it. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it's, it's, it's still there in my mind. It's, it's something that I always referred back to even when I was like 25, 26, like 10 years later. It's, it's definitely something that's always stuck in my mind and, and kind of motivate me to carry on pushing, definitely. 
Class, mate. Class. So, so am I right in saying that you were basically balancing at that point um, full-time university degree? And for anyone who isn't aware, I think uh, the degree that you chose, mate, at University, it's, it's certainly not a slack degree. Is that fair to say? Oh, it's, yeah, it's, it's not. I thought it was going to be easier because I was like, oh, sports science. Yeah, sounds <laughs> something that I could do uh, do quite easily. But no, it was uh, definitely shocked when all the assignments and all the, the exams started coming out. It's definitely really hard, yeah. Yeah, so how did you find that balance as, a, as a, what needed to be a full-time student and then trying to contend within a professional rugby environment at the same time? Um, the, the real good thing was that Exeter University, like the rugby team there was pretty much as professional as like university rugby could be. We had okay. um, some coaches from Chiefs at the time. So we, I think we had the likes of Dean Mum one year, um, Hayden Thomas, uh, Dave Ewers, Dim Welsh. Like they're all of our coaches over over the course of the year, so it was it was as professional as it could be for university. Amazing. So yeah, that definitely helped in terms of university being more professional in in that in the rugby aspects. Also helped me with kind of balancing in uh, the university degree as well. Okay. Was there ever any moments where you, where you you struggled to get that balance, and actually things at university or, or rugby started to slip? Um. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I th- I think so. Um. It was something always in my first term where there's loads of work, there's loads of rugby. I always found the balance really hard then. Yeah. Um, I definitely, like in my in my uh, my fresh year, I I struggled to pass the year because I thought okay. it was all about. I thought it was gonna be easy. I was gonna gonna walk it. But then obviously I failed a few exams and had to reset some in the summer, and that really gave me a kick up the backside. Got ya, got ya. And I mean, at that time, you're studying a degree that's not easy. But you're starting to get a realization that you're you're mixing it in a in a professional rugby environment. What what were your goals at that time, Matt? I know you said that you were delaying the goals a little bit and things like that. But were you starting to realize that actually I want to try and make it as a professional at that point? Yeah, I think my my goals in terms of rugby um, when I was at uni was I wanted to play in the first team at, um, at Exeter. Okay. Um, which luckily. I did. I played with some great players, um, and in terms of of Exeter, I wanted to get myself into a full preseason with the first team there and earn myself a contract. Amazing, amazing. Now, briefly, mate, just talk to me. Exeter University, you had a pretty successful campaign, didn't you? Oh yeah, the, our, our third year. It was, it was always a goal when we were there. We wanted to get to the Bucks final. We wanted to play at Twickenham, um, but over the last like. The, the two years, my first, second year, we we fell short the the semi-finals and quarterfinals. And that's pretty. That's uh, that's quite tough to take. Mm. Um, but as soon as we like the third year, we had a uh, we had like some yeah we had some great players. So we had the likes of like Sam Skinner, Tom Lorde, Harry Ledger. Um, wow. I was saying the the guys in the past weren't weren't great. They they're all very good, but for for something something just clicked that year and we just, just came together. together. We went unbeaten the whole year. Um, and yeah, it was, it was actually incredible. It was so good. Would you put that down as one of your highlights of, of on the field? Oh, definitely. You can't not have like you you play at Twickenham in front of like all your friends. Uh, I don't think my yeah my family was there as well. Um, yeah, it's always a goal to play at Twickenham, isn't it? It's the the home of, of English rugby, isn't it? So yeah. Yeah, that must have been incredible, mate. That must have been incredible. So that did that mark your last year at university as well? Yes, so that was that was my last year at university. Um, it had been pretty um, upsetting to not get to that point. 
and yeah. play at Twickenham. Uh, but yeah, that was my last year at university, and uh, yeah, that was that was that. Yeah. So what happened to you then, mate? So you finished university. Um, where what kind of path did you go down at that point? So luckily, in my my last year of university is where like Exeter took more of a of a liking and actually offered me a contract. But it was also the time where I actually had my first injury. Um, okay. So that yeah. was a seamless transition, mate. Let's talk a little bit about that. What was it? Oh, uh, what my my first injury? Yeah. So I actually had uh, two bulging discs in my neck, um, wow. which was causing all sorts of uh, problems, um, like sleeping wise um, in the gym, and even just walking around. It was a uh, it was quite a weird one, but I didn't actually realise anything was uh, was serious at the time. Well, mate, can you, you say you kind of was causing you issues? Can you just be a little bit more specific about that with regards to how was it affecting you? Kind of if it was pain, just talk a little bit about that and kind of what were you noticing, whether it was in the gym or out on the rugby field? So uh, I started losing um, losing muscle, like losing um, losing strength in my chest. It was it was a weird one. Obviously, everyone loves having a big chest. I never did have. But I was trying to, <laughs> trying to get a big old big old chest. Um, I was actually in the gym over Christmas with a. It was with like Toby East and and Jake Woolmore. Yep. And uh, obviously Eastie's a a physio himself. Um, and he was like, "Mate, you should really get that looked at." I was literally one arm was pushing like forty, and the other one was like, I couldn't even put up thirty two. Wow. So it was, uh, wow. It was quite a weird one, and that's when I started realizing maybe something was wrong. Um, mentioned it um, at Chiefs, and they were like, "Okay, let's take you off rugby for a couple of weeks. See you. See how it settles." Um, everything seemed to, to settle okay like my strength was coming back i could do well, i was i was absolutely fine um, were you getting much pain paul oh the the pain in it no there wasn't much pain um the, the only pain i had was at night time so literally I'd, I'd be waking up at two three o'clock in the morning in absolute agony wow um so yeah i, I struggled to keep up with the the uni the uni gym at that time because okay. come in the morning and I'd, I'd literally not be sleeping at all so this is going back to your third year of university, is it? Yeah, so it kind of inst- intertwines with both, really. Okay. Like the the neck issue and being at uni and, and, and signing my first contract, yeah, it kind of all moulds into like a 10-month area. Yeah, and although it may be quite obvious for me, it would be quite good for you to for you to hear, did anyone ever give any rationalisation for, for, for why this happened or, or why you developed or how you developed these these disc issues in your neck? Um, I don't know. No, it was it was more. I, I I think something happened when I was playing for Taunton. I think a scrum collapsed. Okay. And uh, like literally, all rugby players know you get a bit of a stiff neck and you don't think much too of it. It's it's fine like three days later, and it and it actually was fine three days later. Um, it was it was quite a weird one. Like I didn't think okay. it was at all. Like I wasn't showing the the signs and symptoms of like two bulging discs onto your spinal cord. It was uh, yeah. a yeah one. And you weren't back row at this point, were you? Um, I was flicking between both. I was in the back row, front row, wherever they needed me. Okay, cool. Cool. Perfect. So, I mean, bulging discs in the neck, and as a physio, mate, I can can attribute, I'll be honest, the patients that I see anecdotally, people who get nerve pain down their arms or potentially nerve issues from, from, from disc issues in the neck, it can be quite debilitating. So the thought of trying to contend with, with staying up in shape and maintaining a physical function on the rugby pitch with these issues going on, I think that's testament to, to your drive, to be fair, that you managed to, to push on for so long. 
what was the process once they went down the line of kind of resting you and then you're trying to go back and scan kind of what did that culminate in mate uh, so my my foot my I didn't really get a scan because because like literally my symptoms were only my night pain and like the odd of the the tiny bit of losing a bit of strength which came back. Um, I didn't actually get a scan until the end of the season. Okay. Um, and then actually, as soon as the the season at uni finished and Taunton finished, uh, obviously Chief said, oh, let, let's get a scan just see what what's going on because you shouldn't be getting this night pain." Uh, and then it was obviously it was quite a big uh, big thing at the time. Like there was. I, I I don't know how to describe how like it was it was only a tiny bit of my spinal cord left really it was uh it was quite yeah. weird uh, and then, yeah yeah they, they were like let's have uh, let's have some time off rugby so I had six six months off rugby um and the disc started to go back but they didn't go back enough so uh, it was either call it a day there or or have an operation so before we talk about the op mate it'd be really interesting to hear what you remember from that time. So your professional career is effectively just starting off the back of university. Um, and you're already in a position where actually the future of your rugby success or the future of your rugby ability to play is put into question because of an injury. Um, do you remember how you felt about it at the time? I think when I, when I first found out about it, um, I think I was, I was, it was, I was in Bristol at the time and, uh, seeing a surgeon and he was like, oh, that's, that's it. I was like, "What?" She's like, "Yeah, you're you're done." Um, uh, and and yeah, that was it was it was a bit weird when I was I was obviously really upset. I actually went home. I had a had my dissertation handing in like the next day, oh, and I had a presentation like three days later for my dissertation. So it was it was pretty. Uh, it, was, it was a weird one. As I was like, "God, I need to do my dissertation stuff, and I need to sort myself out." But I was I literally got home and probably just lied on my bed and just probably cried for about an hour <laughs> was, yeah like this yeah. is over before it's even started how was how was that even possible yeah yeah i think that's a fair response so how long did that last for mate and i'm not i don't literally mean you crying on your bed what, what i'm interested in is is how long did you remain in that phase where you were kind of frustrated pissed off about kind of the fact that your rugby career had, had technically or had been suggested to end how long did that last before you managed to pull yourself back and think about kind of the next steps? What do we do to try and improve this? I don't know. I'm very much a person that you've got to take everything in your stride. Otherwise it will, it will hold you down. But obviously I guess in terms, I was lucky that I actually had my uni stuff to, I still had to concentrate on that. Otherwise I'd be leaving university without a, like a degree or cause like obviously a dissertation is a massive part of, um, Oh, amazing. Yeah. yeah. So, I was able to move forward quite quickly with that. But as soon as yeah. that was over, I was a bit, I was, I was a bit lost. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, and then we came up with a, Chiefs came up with a bit of a plan and was like, okay, we're going to have six months off and uh, we'll see how it all settles. So I, I did that. And that was, that was pretty tough seeing everyone coming for preseason, like all like grafting together and going down to Exmouth, the Exmouth beach stuff, but with Chiefs yeah. always, it's always bloody hard, but it's always, it's a great, it's a great thing to be part of. I can imagine. Um, and I was just sitting there just doing all this rehab stuff while they were all slogging their guts and it just felt, yeah, it, just, it felt really strange. And I just yeah, I, lost, lost track. I lost sight of what I actually wanted to, to achieve really, I think. Fall out of love with rugby a little bit? Um, Definitely. I, I definitely, I would say I definitely felt out of love with rugby for sure. Um, 
I definitely question whether it's what I wanted to do. Def- yeah, a hundred percent through that first, um, that first six months, I definitely questioned what I wanted to do. Yeah. Now, I guess the, the the advantage that you had at that point is that you were in a, or you had a support network around you that meant that you were having people kind of keep you on track and, and trying to motivate you to keep things going. I guess the, I guess that's one kind of saving grace because someone else in an environment, whether it was in a semi-professional or an amateur club, may not have had that same support network. Would you agree that was a, a large element that helped at that point? Yeah, definitely. The, the, the physios at Chiefs, like they, they work wonders with, with most of the guys there. Um, yeah. They, they definitely kept me ticking along, giving me everything to do. Um, obviously, the uh, the rehab guy at Chiefs, Coxie, he's uh, he's an old Marine and he's... Uh, doesn't take no no shit from you at all. <laughs> they definitely keep you uh, going and motivating. And it was, it was, I spent a lot of time with them. A lot of time with them. It was uh, definitely character building for sure. I can imagine. I can imagine. Let's just go back to something you said. So you said that you got into rugby because your mum thought you were a bit of an angry man. Now, this is a process that could potentially make someone an even angrier man. So were there times during that where you were you were reverting back to that person? I, I would definitely say I was a difficult person. Um, I don't know how to describe what I was like, but um, no, I'd, I'd say it was definitely difficult. I'd, I'd start taking like things out on on like like for instance, my mum would uh, like, just have like arguments for for no reason, and obviously that quite that upset me quite a lot because I'm very close to my mum. Okay. Um, and and my friends as well. They they took a bit of a, a, a well, big brands of it as well. Did that impact the relationships around you? Um. Yeah, I, th- I think it, I think it did. It definitely did impact the relationships around me for sure. Um, but I guess they knew it was only it wasn't wasn't forever. Yeah, um, yeah. But they also got and me out of that slump as well. For sure, and I guess that just goes back to having that support network around you that yeah, are in a position to pull you out of it, mate. That's brilliant, and thank you for your, thank you for your honesty there. Now, can you just kind of? What was the what was the end result of that? So you took the time off. You're trying to do your rehab stuff, and and let's be honest, what what we're talking about is is like you said, your disc putting pressure on your on your spinal cord. So the consequences are are pretty nasty if that if that was to get any further. What ended up happening, mate? So uh, after those six months, um, the discs hadn't gone back enough, uh, and the surgeon said, "Oh, we we can operate." Uh, we can leave it, but I'd be worried. For instance, if you go for a cycle and you fall off your bike, you could end up being in a worse position than you are now. Wow! So we were no longer talking about kind of massive rugby collisions. We were talking about kind of everyday, everyday accidents, everyday life. Yeah. So it was uh, it was a bit of a, a change in in the scenery. Really, it was if you fall <laughs> off your bike, something could happen to you, and uh, you'd be a hell of a lot worse off. Um, or what he thought was was the best and gave me a chance of playing was to replace both discs. But there was also the, the fact that no one had actually gone back to play professional rugby in the front row with two discs. People have done it with one and had fusions, but it was, it was more like a, they put an artificial disc in and he said that he hadn't done it before and he doesn't know many other people or surgeons that had done it. Wow. Wow. How did you feel about that, mate, being the guinea pig? So, Obviously, it's, it's nerve wracking, isn't it? It's uh, it's a strange thing to be the guinea pig, but it was also quite exciting because it gave yeah, me I that bet. chance. Yeah, um, yeah. Because I, are we? Is it fair to say that if this lifeline wasn't given to you, that would have been done and dusted, game over? 
Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, it was. Um, there was a lot of conversations with the the doctor at Exeter and and the family as well. Um, but I, I think I would have been really upset myself if I didn't give it a go. Um, is, is, is probably how stupid it sounds. Um, but I definitely owed myself uh, that opportunity to get to give it a go and, and proper uh, to trying to attack professional rugby. Yeah, amazing, amazing. So fast forward, surgery completed, long rehab process. Uh, long rehab, eighteen months, I think. Wow, eighteen months. Yeah, eighteen months in full from when it first got diagnosed. So yeah, eighteen months in rehab. Um, luckily, I was so I also have really good ties with Taunton, so. Yappy said to me, why don't you come up Tuesday, Thursday and run water on a Saturday, run water for the boys. Um, so that definitely kept me going. Um, and also just be like a dinner lady for, for Tuesday, Thursday nights and run the food down <laughs> for the lads. But mate, like you kind uh, of threw yeah. that out there, but I guess that also shows what kind of a bloke you are, crucially, but also how much of a rugby man you are, to be fair, and, and how ingrained you are or how the community is so ingrained in you, really, because it was a position where... Am I right in saying you were getting rehab during the day, working working hard during the day at Chiefs, and then you were giving up your evenings where otherwise yeah. you could have been resting, recovering, but you gave it up to basically support the boys at, at a level that a few few levels below Chiefs, but but for the for the community really and, and for the boys, like you say, is that fair to say? Oh yeah, definitely. I I, I love I love Taunton. Like it was definitely had some really good really good highlights there, and obviously Yappy and and Keith at the time took a bit of a punt on me uh for when i first started there so so yeah i definitely have a lot of uh i don't know what the word is uh definitely a lot of debt to them for sure okay mate that's 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 incredible so i mean bloody long rehab process there aren't too many things that that require kind of an 18 month or an 18 month rehab process so I think it'd be really helpful for some of the people listening who perhaps are going through injuries at the moment that perhaps are nowhere near as long as that. But it would be good to hear you kind of talk about the motivation during that process, whether you had any self-doubt in terms of whether you were going to be able to make it back. But any strategies that you or anyone else employed that allowed you to stay motivated during that time? I think the main thing is you, you've got yourself a goal. So that's that's your if you lose it like a analogy of like an umbrella so that the top of the umbrella is your, is your overall goal so for mine was getting back playing um but it's also key to have those mini goals in in the middle because if you don't have those um you just leave yourself with, with no direction you're just lingering mm. this umbrella without a chance of climbing it mm. um, how, how many were you making these goals it may, it may be too far away to remember now but do you remember the kind of things that were your micro goals Oh, they, they were they were daily, weekly. Yeah, they were very, very sh- uh, like short scale for sure. Because I, I think if I if I was aiming too far ahead, I was like I was mentally wise. It was it was really bad for me. I was getting in, I was getting down in the dumps. Uh, yeah, because it just feels like you've got a mountain to climb, doesn't it? Yeah, it just feels like it's it's never ending. It's impossible. Uh, so yeah, definitely having the little goals in the middle. They can be little small ones. I, I think I'd have goals like. I used to come up with with one of the girls that like, oh, I want to do ten press ups today, and that, that came that came from the the rehab guy, the SSC guy at Chiefs. He was like, "Whenever you sit down, do ten press ups. If you ever want to eat some chocolate, do ten press ups." <laughs> it was something like that because yeah, I got I got really fat in that process. I was I got up to like one hundred and twenty two kilos, I think it was. So I put on. Some what, are you six foot one? Yeah, six foot one. Yeah. 
cool. It's a fair old size, mate. But but like I said, it's a long old process. But I think, I guess the summary of that really is that some people do massively, especially during the rehab process, do not underestimate the importance of setting those tiny goals, even if they may feel absolutely irrelevant and something that before you would have batted aside. I mean, Paul here is talking about bashing out 10 press-ups. I'm sure that back in the day when you were, you were, you were fit and strong, kind of benching far more than your body weight was kind of was 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 part of the course even with your pigeon chest that you kind of <laughs> self-admitted but um so really break it down there is no goal that is too small as long as it is just a small step if you keep making those steps you will start climbing so mate that's really helpful let's fast forward because there's so much more i want to talk about but what really interests me you've gone through 18 months of rehab all gradually and progressively overloaded to take you to a position where in theory, and I say theory, you are in a position to return to a rugby match. How did you feel, mate, when you were getting very close to that point or around the time, even if you want to take me right up to the few minutes before your first rugby game again, what were the emotions going through your mind? I don't know. I, I can remember the the first time uh, the physios actually said, oh, you can go out and do lineups today, Paul. And, um, it was, it was, oh, it was excitement. I went out and the the forwards always do a bit of like, uh, like multi-directional touch to begin with. And I was in absolute shambles in there. Like I couldn't catch a ball. I was running around like a headless chicken. I was just so excited. <laughs> yeah. And the forwards coach actually pulled me over to the side. He was like, Paul, just relax a tiny bit. I was, I was just super excited. And then a couple of weeks after that, they, they said like, oh, maybe just take it, be a bit more careful, have a bit of a back seat. But like, I, I could, I could feel it. It was building and yeah. definitely felt myself going in the right direction. Um, is it's when you get this, this red bib at chiefs, this red top and you just, you can, it means you can do non-contact. Okay. And you're, you're out there and you're, you're starting to train with the lads and you're starting to feel really part of the environment. And obviously like I only got like a, a handful of games at chiefs, but you're really part of the journey and you, you really buy into to the people around you, especially when you're training. And when you, when you're not, when you're in rehab is actually quite it's difficult that's interesting that's interesting do you feel like slightly on the fringes yeah you're more like it's taking like a free ride okay okay have you ever during that process when you're first back into the training environment did you do you struggle at all with imposter syndrome have you heard of that before imposter syndrome so it's it's basically just the the phenomenon where you're constantly feeling like I don't not I'm not sure if I really belong in this environment not because I don't want to be there but I feel like everyone else around me is 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 so much more ready for what they're doing and I'm not sure if I'm necessarily in a position to be doing what I'm doing did you feel that or did you always have so much belief and so much that much kind of awareness of your capacity that you always felt comfortable uh no, I, don't, I don't think you're you can ever be comfortable in in professional rugby or maybe even sport it's it's always good to be out your like not be in your comfort zone it was it was difficult cool but you made the transition back to to training when it started to hot up a little bit contact wise what what how was that um the contact stuff was quite it was, was nerve-wracking um definitely because I was I was worried about if, if I took a knock on my neck or or something if I got like a stinger they'd be like no that's it you're done that's you mm. that's you completely done we're not taking a risk um but obviously I'm, I'm still very grateful to for, for Exeter and, like giving me a chance really mm. um, but yeah I definitely thought something was going to go wrong in the process when I was so close that I wasn't gonna be able to get back on that field 
Yeah. Uh, but it didn't. But it didn't. Luckily, it didn't. Um, I did so much neck weights that my neck was like the, the strongest neck in the club. <laughs> um, but literally, my head was getting pulled left, right, and Chelsea, and and for some reason, my neck, my neck uh, was absolutely fine. Amazing, mate. First game back, first proper game back. What were the nerves like before? Um, I don't know. I was I was really excited. I can remember. I actually had a bit of a supporters club come up to Taunton um, with all like my, my friends, my family. And uh, that, 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 was, that was pretty special. They're all there to, to witness it. And I've still got a, a picture to this day that like everyone there was like just me and everyone there. It was, it was quite cool. Um, yeah, that was, that was some feeling. And I can remember in the warm up, I was, I was almost trying to, try and put myself in a situation where something might go wrong. So I was actually running wow. a warm up, trying to, trying to like put a shot in, make a tackle, even though it was like the warm up with a bit of touch, but I was just being that nose where I was just trying to run around and, and, and if something was going to go wrong, go wrong now, rather than it being on the field. Okay. Okay. So it wasn't necessarily that you were feeling like that confident and cocky with your neck that you knew you could do anything and you were unbreakable it was more a case of you wanted to test it absolutely in a controlled environment is that yeah. is that where you're at even though i'd been put for all this this rehab program tested as for sure as it can be tested um yeah i just i just wanted to for my own peace of mind before this game to just settle the nerves incredible mate so First major test, I guess, completed after a bloody long rehab process and a rehab process that could have easily broken you and stopped your career as such at that point. Kind of attacked it, completed it, back on the rugby pitch. How did rugby go for you, mate, from that period? So you're back at Taunton? Yes. How did that transition go in terms of kind of playing at Taunton and potentially starting to play a little bit more in the Chiefs environment again? I think the, the the best the best thing was was just being able to get back into the rugby environment of actual like a game week. Um, okay. Like being at Taunton, it was it was quite cool. I played the so my first game was for the second team. Um, I think it was against Bournemouth and and uh, yeah, the week after, I think Yappy says, oh, you are going to be on the bench this weekend?" And I was like, "Well, I've like not been around for." <laughs> a year and a half and I'm, I've made it back onto the bench already um and that that was that was something special I, that week I just I loved and yeah being at Chiefs that week as well so like obviously we when you're you're on loan so you, you spend like Monday Tuesday Wednesday at Chiefs but also train Tuesday Thursday at your loan clubs and I, I think yeah the, the week that week was just uh incredible being able to get back on the pitch and actually have a full proper game week yeah yeah mate I, I can imagine that feeling. And I, I've got one memory from that. I can't remember whether it was exactly your first uh, Titans game back or whether it was a little bit after, but you're obviously feeling supremely confident in your neck anyway at that point. But I think it was probably five minutes before you were due to run out. You came towards me and said, mate, just quickly, just put some deep heat on my neck. Do you remember this? Yeah, I think so, yeah. <laughs> and I don't think it was something that you necessarily usually did, but I, mate, you asked for it and it was five minutes before the game, so I put it on probably 30 seconds you started panicking that your neck was on fire and we had to take oh, you to the showers and get, and get the TP off your neck I can remember that that was so painful <laughs> yeah so mate I, in, on reflection I seriously hope that wasn't your first game back because that prep just before you went out was bloody awful <laughs> <laughs> no I, I think that was a few weeks into it then that was a few yeah weeks into it. 
Well, we live and learn that, that you've got sensitive skin, mate, and um, yeah. Deep Peak's probably not the best way to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing, mate. So, yeah, so things were going well with Taunton, kind of mixing up back within the first team again and, and putting in some performances. Um, can you kind of bring me up to date then? How were things going at Chiefs then? Uh, they're going along steadily. Obviously, there were so many good hookers at, at Chiefs, so it was, it was very much you, you wait your time. Um, I think... I think I played in November. My first like A League game was in February, so I think that's okay. four, four months after, and that was um, actually getting that Chief shirt on for the first time in, in an A League game was was something really special. I can imagine. Yeah. Um, and it's it's always nice. I've got a, a picture um, with the physio and and actually the uh, the SSC guy that that stuck with me the whole time, and and it was uh, yeah, it's quite a special photo. Because oh wow, so, is, that Aaron? is that Aaron? Aaron, yeah. So yeah. Aaron and there's actually one that that left halfway through towards the end, which was um, Andy. He was a he was a really good guy as well in in terms of the videos. Um, Amazing, but yeah, like it was it was so special having that photo and playing that game in that shirt. Really, no, oh, I can imagine. I can imagine. And then were you getting regular A, a League spots at that point? Are thereafter? Um. It, it, I, I, to be fair, I can't really remember. It was, um, I think they at that time they had like quite a few, like few hooker issues, uh, like okay. in, in, oh, injuries and and international. So like I think Dicky was away quite a lot over February, March, March time. Um, so it's it more just like managing everyone's load. So yeah, I, I think I was I was very lucky to get a a bit of a running now and again for the A League. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> So, mate, it sounds like things were going really well. Now, to just talk a little bit about kind of bring me up to date more recently with how things were going, because I, I understand that kind of you were definitely in the mix with the A-League. There were some LV Cup things getting on um, and your your club changed as well in terms of your loan club. Yeah, definitely. So, obviously, building up to that after my A-League game, I was, I was lucky to, to make my debut for Chiefs in the LV Cup. Obviously, that's always quite a really nice... As I played and actually scored on my my debut, which was, was like, which has made everyone's everyone's kids, yes. I think, to, to incredible your local club and score a try on your debut. Yeah, although it be a driving more, I just tagged on the end really, but yeah, <laughs> take um, it, mate. Yeah, and then the the year after, I went down to Plymouth Albion, um, which was another another new club. So I left Taunton, but still at Plymouth, and so I was still at Chiefs and Plymouth, um, and that's where. Probably I took more of a professional outlook on on myself and started taking more care of my body and and how I set myself up during the weeks. Okay, how did how did that practically look different? What things were you doing that you weren't doing before? I think I was just I was re- recovering more, just taking more care of my body. Um, wasn't drinking as much. I don't think I don't think I was I was going out every, every weekend. Um, okay, you know, as, as, as bad as it sounds, like. You do play rugby, and you, it's, it's the environment you go out for for a drink after to celebrate. So I think maybe I cut down on, on that aspect. Um, yeah, and I was just really trying to push myself to to be the best person I could be and be the best athlete I could try and be. Incredible. So things were shaping up quite nicely. Definitely, yeah. They, 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 I was, I was, they, they felt like they were going in the right direction. Amazing, mate. Do you have any memories from from that year or that time that would be like the highlights, or would you say it would be that that debut and try? Um. Definitely the, the debut and try um, 
for for Chiefs was, was pretty cool. And then um, I actually got a couple of of like travel reserves, so I was the like the the twenty sixth man for for Chiefs like the prim- couple of Premiership games. Um, wow! And that's when it really started to give me a bit of a carrot. Like it could have been one injury away, and I'd have been on the bench for the Premiership, and and that'd have been pretty. That'd have been another another goal ticked off, and and could have yeah, it would be an amazing feeling. Wow. Mate, so can you bring us up to date to talk about the primary reason that I wanted to discuss with you today? So what happened? Um, for people that don't know, tell us kind of as much as you possibly can around the day um, and what you remember before, please. Um, so a uh, bit of a weird one. I, I can remember, so leading up to, to this event, I, I can remember I really didn't like the lunch that day. I think it was... Uh, <laughs> Just some some plain chicken or something, but I, I really wasn't keen on the lunch. Probably, bit dry, was it? Bit dry. Probably what caused it. Probably what caused it. <laughs> um, but no, we we went out to training. Um, it was just a can't remember the day it was. I think it was a Wednesday, uh, but it was a week off, so it was more like a an anaerobic game kind of Monday, uh, kind of Wednesday. Uh, so we're doing like anaerobic games and so a bit of contact. Um, and I can remember I, I made a, t- a tackle on a shield. Um and from from there afterwards, I can remember standing up, and then all of a sudden just went blank and and woke up uh in hospital about about ten ten twelve ten eleven twelve hours later. Wow, and I guess the most difficult thing right now is that I want to ask you questions about what happened thereafter, but you're the the only person really that can't answer the questions about what happened immediately thereafter because you were very much there, but very much not present at the same time yeah very very much so. i was it's uh it, yes it's, it's a weird thing to, to talk about and to to look back on for sure um but the the way i look at it i was very lucky to be in the the place i was um but yeah and just to be clear mate what what happened what was the reason you don't remember anything uh so i i suffered a, a cardiac arrest so i actually my heart went out of rhythm or I'm not really too clear what, what happens, but I suffered a cardiac arrest and uh, had, I think it was about four and a half, five minutes of, of downtime. So uh, not breathing properly um, or not breathing at all. I don't think. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they, they, then they, they brought out the defibrillator and, and shocked my heart back into, into rhythm and, and yeah, start, start breathing again, luckily. Wow. Uh, and so I guess, although we know that this was this was probably an intensity-related thing to to potentially trigger it, I guess it's fair to say that if this was to have happened in in many different environments, the outcome might not have been the same. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, a, a weird statistic that the doctor gave me uh, when I speak to him, he turned around to me and said, three uh, percent of people that have a out of hospital cardiac arrest survive." Uh, wow. So yeah, it's, it's a it's a scary statistic, um, and to say that I was very much in the, I was I was unlucky but lucky at the same time, for sure. And uh, just to put it into context for people that don't realise, Paul would have been training that day at uh, Sandy Park, so with Exeter Chiefs, and therefore there would have been a pretty full complement of medical staff. I'm I'm presuming on site that would have been within. Well, by your side with appropriate medical equipment within seconds, maybe maybe minutes, but but certainly not long at all. Yeah, is that fair to say, mate? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, they they uh, they they tra- they train themselves for 
but all eventualities and I don't think they've really had many eventualities like this and on the day their their training paid off really, didn't they? Very no, which is very, in, which very is grateful in... to, to every single one of them there. Matt, I can imagine. I can imagine. So now I know you don't remember that that first bit, but you mentioned that kind of twelve, eight, twelve hours later you remember um waking up in hospital. Now I'm presuming that at that time you would have a hell of a lot of questions and feeling slightly confused. Now do you remember how you felt and any questions that you kind of had at that at that moment? Um, it was a bit of a weird one because I, I didn't actually think it was anything serious. I thought it was my neck. I thought, wow. I thought something went wrong with my neck. I was like, oh, bloody hell, what's going on here? Um, so I was trying to move my legs and that was all fine. My, my arms are fine. And like I felt, I just, I felt, well, I felt a bit dazed, but my, my body felt fine. Um, wow. Yeah, but I was, I was, I was very drugged up at the time there's, there's there's great stories to come from it but <laughs> uh, some of the some of the things i was saying uh obviously all, all my family was there which i was i was very lucky they traveled from from wales my, my partner traveled from from london took her six seven hours to get down in, in russia wow um and was this intensive care at this point mate yeah so i was, I was in intensive care um in, in plymouth and Derford hospital i got airlifted to the to the hospital uh from sandy park uh yes yeah, so I was I was in intensive care for for about 3 to 4 4 days being monitored quite quite closely when did it first sink in what happened um croaky when did it sink in uh, did it take did it take a while it, it definitely took a while it I I would say a good yeah, a good chunk to to being in hospital. It, it, it took me to to understand what actually had happened and how lucky I'd been. Mm. Mm. And this may sound like a silly question because for most people, sounding like you had a cardiac arrest it is it's possibly one of the worst things that could that that could happen. How were you feeling, mate? In those those initial few days, were you feeling terrible? Were you feeling rough? Kind of what was your capacity to do stuff? Were you bedbound? Um. For, for the beginning part i was yeah I, uh, I think for about two to three days I, I had the worst headache in the world i literally had a the worst headache for about two weeks uh had the worst headache um but it came probably when the, the doctor came in to see me one day and i just uh, i think it was about three or four days in and i was like can i just go for a walk can i go to the can i go to the toilet can i have a shower i just felt absolutely grotty and i, I think that was just really making me feel down um yeah, yeah. And he, he turned around to me and was like, this is really weird. We've never had anyone that had a cardiac arrest like three days ago to ever ask to go for a walk or go for a shower. Yeah, you care about your hygiene and your uh, and how you're looking or feeling perhaps, whereas actually they're used to people who are, uh, have just come back from, let's be honest, mate, you, you, you were effectively, your heart had probably stopped for a good period of time. Yes, on, on death's door, yeah, it was... Uh... So, mate, that says that says a hell of a lot about about your resilience and I guess your fighting attitude. The fact that even three days after, it sounds to me like that was the beginnings of you wanting wanting to kick on and wanting to get back to normality. Oh yeah, I, I wanted to get out of out of hospital as soon as I could. Like, it's, it's just not me. Um, I hate being constrained uh, in in myself. I, I like to be being out, obviously training. Um, yeah, yeah. I just, I just wanted to get out of there as, as as quick as I could, but obviously, for obvious reasons, uh, I had to stay in for for a lot longer. So, did you manage to do it? Did you manage to get up and, and I don't want to say defy what the doctors thought, but 
did you manage to get moving? Uh, luckily, yeah, I did. Um, the the doctor actually took me out for for lunch uh, <laughs> down into the uh, the hospital uh, communal area. So he was like, right, I'll spend my lunch and I'll go and have my lunch with you outside. Um, make sure we've got everything just in case something goes wrong. Amazing. Um, but it was it was quite a good one because I was, I was actually with with Tony Yap at the time. He came in to see me and uh, he actually came out uh, came out for lunch with the doctor with me. It was a, a bit of a weird one because I didn't really speak too much. I was nervous. I was I was really scared. Okay. Um, mate, what were you scared of at that point? I was, I was scared that something was going to happen again. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was, it was it was it was very scary. I can remember getting the fresh air and like it was it was kind of windy, and any sort of um, any sort of like breath that I had, I was like, Oh God, is it, is this it going now? Is, is this going to wow. be again? Um, yeah. So I don't really talk too much. It was more Yappy and the doctor talking, but okay. um, um, we all know Yappy can chat as well. Well, Yappy, Yappy can talk. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, Mate, that's incredible. So, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm presuming your, a lot of your character, a lot of your personality is what we would say traditionally, at least what we see from the outside is kind of alpha, quite um, quite an extroverted person. But I'm presuming you're also someone who prides themselves on their ability to be robust and to be fit and to to be able to cope with impact. So am I, am I right in saying that this could have been one of the first times that, that you felt fragile? I, I, yeah, I, I think that's a big thing to come out of being a, being a male and being in sport is you never want to be seen as as, as vulnerable. Like it, don't get me wrong, you probably hit the nail on the head with saying I'm very much like an extrovert. I like being part of um, a part of a like part of with, with people. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I, I was I felt very vulnerable. Um, yeah, I was, I was very scared. How did that process of, of of finding out that 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 rugby necessarily wasn't the smartest idea, or whether it was said to you in in simpler words than that, and that you can't play rugby anymore? Kind of how how did that happen? How did that come about? And and I'm presuming at that point, were you already accepting of that, or was that quite a hard thing to hear? Um, <laughs> I think because I heard it once before, I wasn't very accepting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've done this once before. I can do yeah, it again. I can do it again. Um. It was it was really tough to hear. Uh, definitely, I, I can remember lying in in my hostel bed and and coming into like Paul, like you that that is it. Like you you can't you can't do it. Um, we're going to fit you with this this device and 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 that'll be you. You can you can do everything else. Like you can I can stay fit. I can go to the gym, but I just can't do can't do rugby. Uh, okay. I felt yeah, it was it was really tough really tough i felt like i, I lost uh i lost my my identity I, f- I felt obviously it's it's a weird thing to think um that rugby gives you your identity but that's what it felt like at the time i felt like i was paul paul the rugby player like paul plays rugby like that that, that was me for for like a good 10 15 years of my life uh starting from from like 12 years old so yeah, I was, I was Paul the rugby guy, and then this happened, and I, I felt like I lost my identity. I didn't have any direction of where I wanted to go. Uh, yeah, I was, I was pretty down in the dumps. 
So I'm interested, you were in there for a good while. What's the process like when you're your age, you're in a, in a, basically in for cardiac reasons, how do they build you back up? How do they, how do they take you and they progressively build you back up again? Um, I think that the way they did it, I, I think they struggled with me. I think I had too much energy for them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I can, uh, I can remember there's several times with, with, with friends that I was, we were chucking out this paper airplane, just basically just chucking it down the, uh, the <laughs> corridor. And just being they, a nuisance. Being a nuisance basically. And I think they probably fed up with me by the time I, I left, but, I think that the, the support they gave me is as nurses and doctors there. Um, I was actually, it's, it's, it sounds as, as weird as it is. I was scared to sleep. Um, wow. And what, what, do you remember why? I was scared of dying. <laughs> wow. um, as, 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 as bluntly as it is, I was, I was worried that if I, if I fell asleep, I wouldn't wake back up again. Um, wow. Did you talk to anyone about that at the time? Um, I told, I told me mum, uh, I, I, obviously I've, I've said that I was very close to my mum. Um, and luckily she, well, not luckily, but she mentioned it to the, to the nurses and, and they'd actually come in there uh, check on me during the night just to make sure, obviously I was connected to, to all sort of uh, heart like machines the whole time anyway. So they, of course, know if something happened, but just making sure I was, I was asleep on okay, really. So they just came to, like, they were checking me quite a lot. And I think that's probably, yeah, that, that, that was pretty tough thinking that every time I'd close my eyes, I might not wake up again. How long did that last for? Um, that lasted for, for, for a long time. I think I've only just started coming out of that. Really? Now. Yeah, I, I do struggle to, I struggle to get to sleep and I struggle to, to stay asleep. But I'd probably say the last, Six months has been where I've actually started getting a good night's sleep. Wow. How have you managed to get over that process? I, I, I know it's, 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 a, it's a tough one. I just, every time. With, the, more not, the more mornings that you wake up, you realize that. Is, it's not going to happen. Yeah. I, yeah. I think it's, it's the element of, of how, long, how long it's not happened. Okay. So it just eases, eases your mind. And I think at the beginning part was, was really tough. I can remember when I got out of hospital and I went back home and my, my housemates at the time, they're all going to, to training the next day. And I actually said to him before I, before I went to bed, I was like, oh, Jack, can you, um, can you just check in on me in the morning and make sure I'm still alive? Wow. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how, how, how worried I was and, and scared. And that, that would, that was really tough. And he was, Mate, have you, have your family and friends ever let on to you since kind of how, how that affected them? Um, my my mum struggled a lot. Um, family well, yeah. Mum my my girlfriend's a bit of a godsend, she's she took it in her stride quite well. Um but yeah, it, it definitely definitely affected them and it, it hurt me as well, thinking about how much like pain I must have put them through as well. I can imagine. Um I can imagine. Yeah, no, but mum my mum struggled quite a lot. She um she went to speak to someone as well uh, about it. Because every time Did she spoke about it, she'd, she'd, she'd break down into tears. Yeah, I'm not, I can imagine that's the toughest thing for a mother to have to go through. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I felt guilty of, of that. You felt guilty? I felt guilty, yeah. It's, 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 I guess it sounds silly, but I just felt guilty that I put my, my family through um, that sort of pain. Okay. 
No, I can, I can, I can understand that. Although, on the face of it, it's completely irrational because it's out of your control, and it was, exactly. it was something that you never could have prepared for. I guess during this process, mate, you had a lot of time in your own head yeah. to think and to maybe, I don't want to say blow things out of proportion, but maybe to think things that didn't need to be thought about. How, how did you find having that long inside your own head, mate? I think um, being in your head on your. <laughs> on your own is, is, is dangerous um the, the the real question is have i ever thought about doing something um potentially what uh, do you mean by that mate do you mind me asking uh like doing something silly <laughs> like probably not being here um so how, how how low did it get mate is that was that a fleeting was that a fleeting thought or was this something that that was a regular thought in your head um it was it was it was regular for, for, for a while, um, but I, n- I never let on to, to anyone to say that's how I felt. Okay. Um, yeah, that was, that, 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 was, that was quite tough. And that's when I went to, 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 to speak to someone about it. Okay, so, so it was your decision to, that you needed to reach out and get some professional help? Uh, Definitely, yeah. It, well, it was, it was it was it was my girlfriend as well. She said like you you do need to just speak to someone, even if you don't feel that bad at the time. Because I, I can remember during the day I was I was I was fine. Um, it would just be when I was when I was on my own, I'd be like, this, okay. this is pretty pants. I'm lonely as heck. Um, like you're seeing everyone training. Uh, so Paul, it's, it's just simple things. Train like seeing the boys train is is quite tough. All these things that you're talking about, mate, are still about rugby. Is is it fair to say that that most of your negative feelings were associated to your your loss of identity and the fact that you'd you'd been pulled away from from what you'd known for such a long period of time? Definitely, I, I yeah, I, I definitely lost track with with where I where I was and where I wanted to go, for sure. Um, and, and and yeah, Paul, can I ask how that process is seeking out for professional help for? for for mental struggles um i think we're we're lucky in being part of like the ipa they do have uh people that you can go speak to but i I think it's having the confidence for 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 a professional sportsman to to say that they need to speak to someone for sure that you need that you need help yeah, it's. Yeah. I think I was. I was worried at the beginning that I said I. I didn't need to speak to anyone. I'm absolutely fine. Yeah. Um, like it's, it's a sign of weakness if I if I do go speak to anyone. Well, that's really interesting, mate. Because if I ask anyone about you and and I have a word that pops up about how you played rugby and perhaps your your character was the word warrior comes up quite a lot. And so it's really interesting that that even in this time of of unbelievable lows. You still felt that you had to keep that shell on. You still felt that you needed to keep that that identity. So, were you saying it was your it was your it was your girlfriend that 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 really helped you to to pull that kind of shell off and to to put your hand up and say I, I need some help? Uh, yeah, d- definitely. She yeah, she d- she definitely was there. Uh, and she she's the type of person that doesn't take any rubbish really. <laughs> Like she definitely keeps you on the straight and narrow, and it's, 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 it's she uh, she definitely made a played a big part in in that. How hard was it as a man to admit that you needed the help in the end? 
Um, it, it's quite difficult now to even to even accept it, like that I that I didn't need help. Uh, so yeah, it was it was tough, but when I think about it, is it was, it was the, the best thing I've I've ever done. Amazing, and, I, and I'd, I'd do it again, and I'd make sure if someone came to me with 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 any sort of issue or anything, I'd I'd, I'd recommend for them to do it, and and I'd I'd be there for them to to go through it with them. So it's changing, isn't it? But do you think that 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 toxic masculinity that's something that there's a lot more work that needs to be done within, especially rugby, mate. The the way that 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 men treat themselves. Do you think that those walls need to be broken down even more? I, I think so. It's it's a very it's a it is a very alpha male like well, not alpha male sorry alpha environment. Yeah. Um, because when you put it on women's rugby and it's, it's probably the same over there as well but mm. I think it's, it's it's a known known fact that like some some people can speak about their feelings a lot easier um and I think just like males do do struggle to to speak about feelings when they, they probably shouldn't have you have you taken that into your life now so do you talk about things a lot more now I, I definitely think like I'd, I'd I vent them a lot more, yeah. Because okay. th- th- there's no point sleeping on something that's that's going to to affect you the next day or the day after. It's very much it needs to be sorted with th- there and then. It's there's no point beating around the bush with it because it could just build up and and cause cause some problems down the road. And I guess that was what was happening. Definitely, yeah, it was. How how quickly did did you manage to get yourself back into a positive mindset, mate? Once you once you opened up, admitted, and and sought professional help, um, I'm guessing it's not a quick fix. It's, it's, it's not it's not a quick fix. Um, I think it's it started to be. It was it was definitely a minimum of six months. I, I can remember, like a, a couple of times, I'd, I'd I'd go out and I'd, I'd be drinking, and and for some reason, I'd just end up in floods of tears. And and I think that's when I realised that I did need to do something as well. I think okay. like mixing the two is obviously alcohol is a, a, de- a depressant. So, so did you use alcohol quite a bit during your recovery? Um, I wouldn't say massively, but if I was going to drink, I I I, I was going to drink. Okay, <laughs> and do you think that's the rugby culture as well? Um. Not, not really. No, I, obviously, it does have a uh, what do you call it? A renowned, yeah, a reputation, a reputation of of a drinking culture. Um, but in in terms of professional, not 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 really. Like, yes, obviously, you do you do have a drink to celebrate your wins and your losses together. But I wouldn't say is is as much as you don't drink. No the time it was like three or four beers and 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 you're done. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, like I, I think when I when I when I do, I'd make sure I'm I'm drinking. I'm drinking well. Okay, okay. So you, you realise that the the alcohol wasn't conducive to to helping you back on that journey of mental recovery. Um, were there strategies that you, with the help of um, the professionals, were there strategies that they suggested that you started to employ that that you're happy to share with me? It was more. Um, it was more just like focusing on on the on the now. Um, like I said said earlier, is 
what is in the past is in the past. It's it's pants, um, but it's focusing on what you can do to move forward in in, in your life. Okay, that was that was the point when I started talking to him. I I didn't have that point of where I wanted to go in my life. Yeah. Did did COVID affect that much as well? Because I'm aware that your 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 initial job role changed because of the because of the crisis. Is that right? Yeah. So it's it's quite um it's a weird thought the whole time. Is everyone's like, oh, I've had such a shit year through COVID, um, which obviously we, we all have, and and obviously mental health is is a big thing right now. Um, but I, I I don't know what year is better for me. <laughs> the yeah, mate. where where I suffered a cardiac arrest and. And, and nearly died or, or this i think this one's slightly 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 better um and and now getting myself obviously i got furloughed from my job and i lost all kind of interest in wanting to to do that job and taking myself back to university so I, i'd say my my covid experience has been slightly better than, than some people yeah i think that's fair how do you mind me asking how you are at the moment mate is these the, these mental health struggles and and I'm a massive advocate for this is that I mean everyone has 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 different mental health journeys and and it's not something that you're you're depressed and then you're good and then you're sorted for life I guess it's like you said this roller coaster again so so where are you at the moment I'd, I'd say I'm in a in a in a good place I've I found something to try and fill the the void of of not playing rugby, of of not being like sociable in, in that environment. Um, so being at uni is actually, and training to be a teacher started to fill that void. Um, Amazing. So I'm starting to feel a bit more, like I have a bit more purpose. Yeah. I think that's that's something that I definitely suffered at the beginning was I just didn't have no sense of purpose. It got taken away from you. Definitely, yeah. You, 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 you're, you're stuck in this... It's, it's it's a bubble. It's I think that's the only way I can describe it. You're in this bubble. You're doing what Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday training, Friday team run, Saturday playing. It's it's a bubble, and it's the the, the bubble is insane. It's it's the best thing to be part of. But then when you're out, you just you just you don't know where you're going. Yeah, for sure. Where where are you at with being able to? watch games of rugby now mate potentially involving boys that you were training and playing with is that something that is is quite a tough thing to watch or are you are you over it and you can appreciate it for what it is um that's a real good question um i i find it tough to to watch um don't get me wrong i i love it like i love like torn to get promoted absolutely love that um I love that obviously Chiefs have done the double last year and knowing most of the guys in that team. Yeah. Um, but there's there's still a like a sense of like I want that. Yeah. I want I want to be part of that team. I want to be part of the team of Taunton getting promoted. Um although be it I was I wasn't there for that the, the season that they did. But I think that's just how much like the, the club meant to me. Yeah. And also Chiefs as well is like I want to be part of like don't get me wrong, I probably wouldn't have played in any of the 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 finals or even in in many like many games at all. But you're you're part of the journey, yeah. And the, and the being part of the journey is incredible. You you put as much you put effort into it as well to try and make a difference to those boys that are playing in those games. 
Yeah, no, I completely understand that. For people listening that, that maybe aren't aware, this this is also, I've just got something to say about the the character of the man that's talking on the other side of this microphone. This season that's just gone, Paul said he wasn't involved in the team that kind of got promoted at Taunton this year. There were multiple games where, well, it was actually last year, wasn't it? So my, the years have just disappeared. Um, multiple games that Paul turned up to to carry water to support the boys on the edge of the pitch. And so I would very much say, mate, you were an integral part of of that team that got promoted last year, albeit in a different way to where you would love to be causing chaos on the pitch. But for someone who has now opened up and said how low they potentially were and how much they were struggling, you managed to hide it bloody well, mate, because you were just a positive, a positive force to everyone in that environment. And you gave up a lot of your time and, and a lot of energy to help support those boys. Is that something that, you found difficult to do at that time? Were you in a good place at that time? Um, yeah, I, I just didn't, I, I, enjoyed, I enjoyed seeing the boys. Uh, yeah. I really enjoyed being part of it. Like the winning the games was like, although you're not, you're not playing, you're not scoring tries or, or like melting people or anything. Um, <laughs> but you're, you're part of the, the environment. And I think that the environment of rugby is, is like, it's irreplaceable. Um, but yeah, I was, I was I was in a good place to to do that, and I good. Didn't, like there's no point burning. I always feel like there's there's no point burning your problems on someone else. Okay, well that's an interesting con conflict, I guess though, because you say there's no point burdening your problems on someone yeah. else, but then in the same breath you need to still be mindful that you need to pick your times to potentially offload onto other people exactly is that is that what you're saying it's a a catch-22 it's a tough one yeah yeah and i guess this is where um in life and i don't want to keep saying men because there's there are plenty of plenty of females that struggle with the same things but i guess that's where we potentially or or people potentially are too proud to 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 realize that actually it's the talking that at any time that is important people are willing to listen aren't they yeah there's there's always somewhere someone that is willing to listen i I, i've got several friends that I probably wouldn't talk to for, for months on end or maybe even like a year or so. And I just know if I did text them and say, I the chat that they, they would be there. And I, I think Amazing. that comes down to, to, to coaches as well. I think like Yappy and Brownie are very much, they've been part of my journey the whole time. And like, I'm not, I'm not a player for their club anymore, but I know that they'd, they'd always be there if I needed something. Amazing. A support network again. Exactly, yeah. Support That's network. Cool. Mate, how are you feeling about the future? Uh, I'm very excited for the future. I'm I'm looking forward to it. There's a lot to there's a lot to happen. Uh I'm excited to to get into a school and hopefully get my own year group and start to to in, in, like give something back. Yeah, I, I felt like you were about to say inspire then. Yeah, I'd, I'd say I'd love to inspire, but I, I wouldn't. Hopefully, hopefully I would inspire. But I think you, I think you, I think you will, mate. I think you will if you, if you can continue this this open honesty, mate, about the whole experience that you've gone through. I don't see any doing anything other than inspiring people. Yeah, thank you, mate. That's that is the the goal. I want to inspire the next generation, and and hopefully they can one day look back and be like, oh, I remember that teacher, and he's the guy that that played a massive role in, 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 in my life. 
and that can become your new identity mate exactly that is, that's i think cool. that's something that is quite difficult as a human being as well as that we talk about identities as stamps as brandings that potentially can't change now i think we need to be more flexible we need to flex with different identities different careers over our lives it's a it's a pretty fast-paced changing world and and there's no reason why you can't have multiple identities mate whilst keeping your core values true to yourself you've been through a, a series of of traumatic incidents that would have broke people let's start off with the neck that that was an unbelievably challenging event to try and come back from unbelievably extended rehab process for good reason and you've shown an unbelievable amount of resilience to come out of the other side of that and make it back to what effectively is the top level of rugby so for the fact that you're now you've gone through what could have been the worst possible thing to happen to someone and it sounds to me like you've pulled yourself around and focused on what truly is the most important thing friends family and not taking anything for granted i think that says so much about your personality would you do anything differently mate if you were to be 15 16 17 year old paul davis would you have done anything differently um i i think that comes back to what i said before is like life's a roller coaster you you've literally just just got to get on it and and, and ride you get, um, it's like everything happens for a reason. It's, I think it's, it's such a cliche, cliche saying, but it, it does life, life chucks things at you. It's just how you deal with them. And, um, I can always remember a famous saying from a doctor when I was in hospital, where he said, it's just the cards you've been dealt. You just got to play with them now. And at that nice. time, at that time when I was in hospital, I, I felt like I had a really shit hand. Yeah. <laughs> like, or I had threes. I had four sets of threes and I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to go here. I'm buggered. Um, but I think over time and actually rebuilding myself, I've actually been able to, those, they're not threes anymore. No. They've improved. I've, I've got a better hand and it's just how you deal with, with the hand you've been dealt and taking it in your stride and, and being able to, and being able to get yourself on the right track again. Amazing. Amazing. And if you can do it coming off the back of something like this, I think it just shows that anyone struggling with pain, injury, mental health struggles can certainly do it as well. Thank you so much, mate, for your time. No, thank you very much for listening. Mate, I'm gonna, we're going to stay in touch and I want to see how this journey goes for you now and how you manage to manipulate and grow these cards. No, thanks, mate. Looking forward to Take care, buddy. Thank you, mate.